Greetings, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode where we go spelunking and mining and traveling through a tomb. It's a Tomb Raider episode. I was working on clever wordplay, and it didn't work. Hi. Mining? I'm Ian. I'm Vincent. And we're your IP consultants, and this week we're talking about Laura Croft. The Tomb Raider. You just watched, like, literally moments ago finished, the most recent Tomb Raider film. Yep. With Alicia Vikander. Yep. What did you think of it? That one is based on the reboot of the game, by the way. Yes. I thought it was okay. I didn't <laughs> feel strongly about it one way or the other. I didn't love it. Didn't hate it. I thought it was unsurprising at every turn, but also not in an annoying way. It was just sort of there. Are you going to be doing a Laura Croft accent the entire episode? <laughs> Are you aware of the fact that I'm always doing an accent? Yes. That I am aware, yes. And Alicia Vikander is a Swedish person playing an English person, so I thought it'd be appropriate to bear my Swinglish accent for this episode. Embarrassing as it is. Well, how very camaraderie of you. Uh, yes. But yes, the newest Tomb Raider, I agree with you. It was just kind of there. It was entertaining in the fact that they recreated quite a lot of elements and scenes from the first reboot game, where it was just called Tomb Raider, put out by Square Enix. Yes. Who acquired Core Dynamics, I think, is the company that originally did the Tomb Raider games. So they recreated a lot of really great scenes from that. And then as it got through the movie, it gets to the middle and especially the end, they kind of chickened out on following the game. <laughs> well, I don't know how the game ends because I didn't finish playing that game. Uh, I played the beginning of that game and I quite enjoyed some of the earlier games in the pre-reboot series for the platforming and the puzzle solving. Those aspects I quite enjoyed. And then the newer games apparently have a lot more survival aspects. Yeah, there's a lot more survival in this game, which, which they also kind of do to a disturbing degree in some of the scenes. That seems to be following the game, as I recall, but my feeling about the sort of survival aspect of the games is I'm terrible at survival. <laughs> I cannot keep myself alive to save my life. I hide. I'm not good at survival games, so I didn't finish playing that game. I started playing the game, I played it for a while, and I was like, oh, this is a, you know, impressive game, but it's not my kind of game in the same way that the early ones were. So I didn't finish it. So I don't know how it ends. Yeah. But I know how the movie ends. Well, in the reboot, which I think it came out in 2013. Yes. 2013. Okay. Because I played it twice. I played it on Xbox 360, and then I played it again on the definitive version on PS4. So the survival elements kind of are more, there's a lot of stealth-based attacks, but these 
three new games of Tomb Raider are supposed to be leading up to the Tomb Raider that we're familiar with from when the game started. Right. So these are supposed to be leading up to her being the badass that we're familiar with. Yeah, it's sort of building the character up from the ground up. Sort of building the character up, yeah. Which is an interesting way of approaching it. It makes sense. I do like stories that build a character from the ground up, as we've established with my defending of origin stories in past episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But, so this is basically Laura Croft origins, you know, setting the character's age younger and seeing how she became the Laura Croft that we know. Through a lot of the game, you are being stealthy and you're trying to avoid a lot of the people on the island that are causing a lot of the trouble. But, you know, she at first is very squicked out, (laughs) as a way to put it, uh, from killing people. And then she kind of acclimates to it rather quickly because it's a video game. Right. She she has to adapt. In the later games, she has no qualms with viciously killing, especially in the most recent one, Shadow of the Tomb Raider. She has no problem being as vicious and brutal as possible. Mm. But yes, it is mostly a survival game. It's mostly a stealth survival game. So being quiet and sneaky is kind of a good element point. Uh, you don't really see a lot of that in the movie because they're, they're still trying to establish the character and they're trying to establish it a little better. In the ending of the game, though, as opposed to the movie, which we're going to spoil for you here if you have not seen the movie yet, so spoiler alert for you all out there. Yes. In the movie, it turns out that the power that they're uncovering from the tomb of whatever the person was in the tomb. The Death Queen. The Death Queen. It was, turns out it was a bacteria or, or some sort of disease or something that, like, if you touched something, you got infected. In the game, it is a much more supernatural element. It is an actual supernatural thing. They kind of explain it away with science in the movie. Right. When in the game, it is actually something actually supernatural, actually something very mystical. Yeah, the games have always had supernatural elements. And in a lot of ways, Tomb Raider owes a lot to Indiana Jones. Very much so. It's very much a sort of contemporary version of Indiana Jones, which means there's a lot of traps and puzzles and also supernatural stuff that often sort of turns up toward the end. Yeah. I've always wanted to see a epic rap battle of history between Indiana Jones and Laura Croft and Nathan Drake from Uncharted. But that's neither here nor there. But yes, there always is that element of the supernatural because there's always that feeling with a lot of these quote-unquote artifacts. You know, in the Indiana Jones movies, they are kind of real artifacts that kind of have a sort of hinted at mysticism to them because of where they were in mythology or I guess mythology could be a term that applies to like the Holy Grail or whatnot. Yes. Uh, Because, you know, is that a thing that was actually real? You know, the Grail and the Ark of the Covenant. And the similar thing to the things in Tomb Raider because, you know, some of these iconic artifacts that she's after may be made up. Same thing with Uncharted. They may be made up, but they have a history of real people around them where you're going and investigating them to be raiding these tombs. Right. But I think the movie did well enough that they're possibly doing a sequel to it. It didn't do spectacularly. It was, I think, one of two video game movies that year. I think Rampage came out that year as well. It did. It came out a couple months later or earlier. 
<laughs> I don't remember which, but both Rampage and Tomb Raider came out the same year. And weirdly, Rampage had the better ratings, even though it was much further departed from the game. But Tomb Raider did well enough. And I think that IP is looking to move forward. I think that IP is thinking about doing a sequel to that story. And as far as what we were left with at the end of that movie, especially with the tag, with Laura Croft getting the twin pistols from Nick Frost's cameo character, it looks as though they're going to try to push her toward more of the Tomb Raider most people were familiar with, which was the early games, rather than following along with the story that was established in the three reboot games. Yeah, I think they're maybe building the character quicker yes. than what the games have been doing, because the games are playing the slow game. Yeah, and admittedly, the movie does add a little bit of element from the second game, Rise of the Tomb Raider, into the ending and the mythology in this first movie. Is this with the companies and... The whole bit with Trinity, yeah, which was the overarching company that is involved in the disappearance of her father and the quest for these artifacts. Right. That's another thing that the movie did that was not in the game. Her father is still alive. (laughs) He was definitely not still alive in the game. Right. You know, the whole point was to go find her father, but also actually not even go find her father, just to go find this artifact that he was after. And, you know, she and her friend were going there. I think her friend was named Sam. And they were on the boat with this whole crew of people. And Sam gets separated from her. And Walton Goggins' character, whose name escapes me now, in the game is like a believer of this death queen and so kidnaps Sam to like sacrifice her and have her become the vessel for the death queen in the game. Right. And that's a much cooler idea. They kind of more humanized Walton Goggins' character in the movie, but it also kind of pulled him down as far as being an interesting antagonist. They kind of gave him a little bit of a backstory about his family and whatnot, but he's kind of a religious activist in the game and kidnaps Sam as a sacrifice you know, because they humanized him. He is pretty ruthless in the movie, though. He is pretty ruthless in the movie, admittedly. One of the first things he does is kill someone for being weak. Yes, but after that moment, his character doesn't feel like it has that same bite that it did in that first moment. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he has the, I can be ruthless, I can do that again, but it never gets there again. There is the moment where he threatens them with the gun. Yeah. They have the standoff at one point, but yeah. But overall, the character feels neutered from what it was in the game. I, I, don't, I don't remember the game very clearly, so... <laughs> <laughs> Should have probably had you play that rather than just watching the movie. Eh, probably. But, you know, I don't have time to do that. <laughs> uh, right, who does? Movie takes almost two hours. The game takes eight to ten. Longer if you're me. And I didn't have that time because we decided on this topic somewhat late. Like Wednesday. On a suggestion by a listener. Yeah. Thanks, Bill, for suggesting this Tomb Raider topic because, honestly, I don't think we even had anything before this as an idea for what to talk about. But yeah, Tomb Raider, I love the Tomb Raider series. I love the games. I actually even love the original Angelina Jolie movies. I've not seen those. You've not seen those? Nope. Okay, those are good, but they're a bit further removed from the games than this one was. Those kind of seem to be set in a similar world, but are a bit on the awkward side as far as elements that they decide to pull from the games. Like, for example, her butler from the games is in the movie, but instead of it being a barely moving old man, it's played by Chris Berry, aka Arnold Rimmer, from Red Dwarf. (laughs) (laughs) 
I did not know he was in those. I may have known at one point, but forgotten. Yeah, and both of those movies are interesting to me because action stars that we know now, a lot of us got to see them for the very first time in those movies. In the first movie, it's Gerard Butler, who most people knew after that from 300 and many other movies currently. And in the second movie, the other male character is Daniel Craig. Which most people know, of course, now is Bond. The big movie he did after that, well, I think it was after the Tomb Raider movie, was Layer Cake, which got him the notoriety for playing Bond. But both of them were in the Tomb Raider movies earlier. So Mm. the Laura Croft Tomb Raider movies, they decided to distinguish those from the games by having her name in the title. And they decided to distinguish the new movie by not having her name in the title to show that it is a reboot. Makes sense. But uh, I've played the first game. I've played a little bit of the second game. I haven't gotten very far in it. Rise of the Tomb Raider. And honestly, if the movies are going to do the trend of following the games as close as the first movie did, because admittedly, the first movie follows the game really, really closely. Other than the elements that I explained where they changed the main antagonist a bit, they changed the element from being supernatural to being something kind of easily explained, and also the majority of her crew on the boat that she's on you never see again. <laughs> right. There's one guy on the crew of the boat that ends up being your friend and partner in the games through the three newest games. Like, he helps her travel around in all the games. And, you know, she goes off adventuring and he's kind of left behind going, all right, I have to save your butt again. <laughs> he's kind of, like, very reluctant to be along with the ride for a lot of these things. And it's painfully obvious and really kind of entertaining in that manner. Right. But he's completely omitted from the movie, I think those characters definitely should have been involved in the first movie and really definitely should be involved in the next film that they do. I think following Rise of the Tomb Raider is good following the storyline that they've established, which is what is Trinity and what are they trying to accomplish with, you know, taking all of these artifacts and trying to unlock something. I haven't played Shadow of the Tomb Raider, so I don't know where that story ends up, unfortunately. But I've always been interested in the story of Tomb Raider and also So I always thought these games were interesting because they were called Tomb Raider, but you don't really raid many tombs (laughs) as far as the main story goes. There are side things that you can do where you can go spelunking into this one area and kind of find some things like little story pieces, pieces of paper about the island that you're stranded on. But they weren't really tombs. In the second game, in Rise of the Tomb Raider, you definitely are raiding through some tombs. And in the movie, a large chunk of it consists of literally raiding a tomb. Yes, yes. That is is kind of what it's about. That's the sort of mission, I suppose, that they're on. Yeah, the overarching plot is getting into that tomb and using Laura Croft and her father to unlock the door to get into that tomb and to figure out the traps that are inside, etc. Which, the way they did that was kind of interesting. The puzzle element that they established there and having her and her father decode the traps because otherwise they were going to blow it up kind of reminded me of the first Uncharted game, actually. Because <laughs> mm. <laughs> Uncharted plays very much to that. Yeah, I thought that element worked okay. With regard to the scooby Dooification of Tomb Raider that they did by making it medical rather than magical, are we saying they should back away from that idea and go back to the... I think they should lean into the mythical elements of things, yeah. Right, so get back to the idea instead of trying to scooby Dooify it. Yeah, don't make it so oh, we can explain this way to being something realistic, what it is. Because that's what makes these movies interesting, is the fantastical nature of it. Right. 
That's what makes Indiana Jones interesting, is the fantastical nature of it, Crystal Skull aside. I I have thoughts about Crystal Skull, but maybe that's for another time. That's a different episode. That's an entirely different episode. But yeah, we'll definitely talk about that. I suspect what they were trying to do here was specifically differentiate from Indiana Jones by not having uh, mystical elements. And I... Oh yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. I understand the thinking behind doing that. I don't necessarily agree with it. Same here. I think it's okay to be a little bit too much like Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah. I 100% agree with that. I was going to say that, but I had to sneeze. Right. (laughs) But uh, yeah, no, because the Indiana Jones movies have that fantastic element to them, and the previous Tomb Raider movies had that to them, I think because this was a reboot, they were kind of trying to hard reboot it rather than the game's version of a soft reboot, and kind of like ground it more in reality. And I think that movie failed because of that. Right. That was one of the failings of the movie because of that is because you go to these movies, you see video game movies and especially adventure titles like this one for the fantastical elements. Right. The puzzle elements are fine. The platforming's great. You can't really have platforming in a movie, though. It's <laughs> why one of the many reasons why it was so hard to translate Super Mario Brothers originally. But the puzzle elements and the fantastical nature of what she's uncovering and what she's discovering is really the draw for it. Right. And focusing on that for any new further Tomb Raider films, what have you, is probably where the focus should be. And yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Because of the comparisons to Indiana Jones, that's not a bad thing, you know? Yeah, I think they were specifically trying to avoid being called a knockoff or something. I think that's something that they shouldn't have to worry about. Another thing, the puzzle aspect. I think I wanted a little more puzzle Oh yeah, in the actual plot of the film rather than just literal puzzles. I kind of want did some has that thing again puzzle box writing. Yeah. Which is a hard thing to pin down and a a difficult thing to do. Not everyone can do it well, but... Yeah, you need a writer who's pretty well versed in something like that. But yes, I agree. I would like to see in a a future sequel a good combination of action and puzzling and an actual puzzle plot so that there's a lot of complicated stuff to wrap your head around and figure out. And especially with the story of Trinity, too. Especially with what that company is and what they're doing, there is that mystery element to them. You know, it is a company that isn't documented. We don't know who or what Trinity is or what they're trying to do, just that somehow Laura's family is involved and therefore want things that Laura's father has found and are trying to get these things that he's discovered or has been trying to discover and he's got more information than they do and they're after that. Right. So not just the puzzle itself of unlocking things in tombs, but the puzzle element of the story. Absolutely, yes. So for the episode about Hitman man. I did bring up Stephen Moffat as a way of getting into the conversation about Puzzle Box writing, but he may have been wrong as a suggestion for that particular IP. But for this IP... I might actually say as an actual suggestion, I think Stephen Moffat can possibly write or co-write a film about Lara Croft. Uh, aside from the general feeling of misogyny I get from some Stephen Moffat things, <laughs> um, sure. <laughs> I don't really see misogyny necessarily in Stephen Moffat's things. I think he's limited in his ability to write characters over time. Yeah. But I don't think it's misogyny specifically. From a lot of, and honestly, to be perfectly honest, it's not something that I myself have seen a lot because I have not honestly seen a lot of Stephen Moffat stuff. 
but I have heard many complaints from people about the way he writes women is really only my point. I have heard that as well. And I think the things that people say about his ability to write women apply to his ability to write male characters as well. (laughs) The thing that I think, because I think he's good at certain things. He has a skill set. And I think that skill set is very well applied to a a two-hour story. I think it's when you apply it over a season or two or four of television, that's when you start getting into like repetition and characters starting to feel a bit thin because he can't draw enough from it. Sure. But I think if he's writing a movie, a two-hour story, I think he can tell a more concise story that doesn't get bogged down in the stuff that he gets over time bogged down in. And I think it's not specifically a gender thing, although people may disagree with me about that. Entirely possible. Again, I don't have enough of a pool of knowledge to pull from for that element. I am just, however, speaking on things that I have heard secondhand. Right. But yes, I would probably be moved to agree with your estimation of that because you probably have seen quite a bit more Stephen Moffat than I have. I have only seen a few episodes of Sherlock. I think I'm behind a whole season and most seasons of Sherlock are only three to four episodes anyway. So Right, I've seen every episode of Sherlock and all of the Doctor Who that he's written. Yeah, exactly. And of Doctor Who, I only saw the last of Capaldi's season, the last season Capaldi did and the first few episodes of The New Doctor and I don't think Moffat was involved in either of those. So <laughs> he did run the last season of Capaldi. He, he left after that season. So that that was his right. Okay. Work. But regardless, there are elements of the stuff that he does that I do enjoy. I mean, I, I love Sherlock and I enjoyed what he did with Capaldi's season. I know a lot of people didn't, but also that was kind of my first real continual watching of Doctor Who. I tried watching one or two episodes of Tennant and Matt Smith's season and never really got solidly into watching them. But after moving to Chicago from Baltimore and rooming with somebody who was a big Doctor Who fan, I ended up watching quite a bit of the Cabaldi run, at least the last season. So, you know, now I watch it more regularly and was more introduced to what Moffat was writing and really enjoyed that. Right. So enjoying his work as a writer is the point I'm trying to get to in a very long roundabout way, unfortunately. So I can see the element that you're trying to bring to the Tomb Raider thing from his writing is the puzzle box writing, which is what we were speaking on originally. Right. But yes, bringing that element to it is a good idea. Yeah, and I don't know that he should be like the sole screenwriter on film. I think he should co-write it with someone I don't know whom, but somebody who can handle the aspects that maybe aren't his forte. I don't know how he is with like action. Yeah. Other than the type of action that was in Doctor Who, which is a very different type of action. It absolutely is. That is very specifically not violent. (laughs) And here's the thing, though. The Tomb Raider games, the original Tomb Raider games, aren't hyper-focused on action. No, absolutely not. The original Tomb Raider games are very much platforming puzzle games. The puzzle in the majority of the levels is how to get through that level. Yes. The puzzle is where do you jump from one ledge hang to another? What part do you crawl through? How do you push a stone so that you can climb up to a certain area or jump up to a certain area? Right. Or push a stone that suddenly unlocks something. Having that element is the majority of the games and then occasionally you get into a firefight because a giant saber-toothed tiger comes crawling out of nowhere and you've got to blast it with twin pistols or 
suddenly a goddamn dinosaur right. happens through <laughs> and you just murder it endlessly because, oh, let's not preserve the world's last dinosaur. I'm going to shoot it in the face because otherwise it's going to eat me. Right. You know, those elements were fewer and farer between in the original Tomb Raider games. Which is what I like about them. <laughs> yeah, they were great games for that. They're very hard to play now because A, camera control and B, just the blocky, muddy textures of those original games just makes it very difficult. It's like, how did we ever see what we were doing when we were playing these games originally? Some of the later ones hold up, all right? Some of the later ones do hold up okay, but the storylines in those tend to be a little drab. Yeah. From last revelation on, they kind of falter. And those are products of being games that were done after the Angelina Jolie Tomb Raider movies, which were very action-focused. So the games tried to follow a little suit of that. They tried to follow suit in making the games a little bit more action-focused. They did... Tomb Raider Last Revelation, they did Tomb Raider Angel of Darkness, which was the first game on PS2, which they rushed, which is broken as crap and barely playable. Then they did Underworld, which was decent. I believe I played that one. And then they did Tomb Raider Anniversary, which was built on the Underworld engine, I think. I think I'm remembering that correctly. And Anniversary was just a updated graphically remake of the first game. Right. And Underworld and Anniversary are actually both really good. Yeah. But they balance both the puzzle element and the action element. Yes. You're not getting more of one and less of the other in this. It strikes a good balance between those. Yeah. Anniversary added a little bit more action to balance it because the original Tomb Raider game was mostly puzzles with a little minimal action. And so they kind of gave you a couple more action set pieces, but at the same time also used that as a balance for it so that you had both elements. And then you get to the reboots that came out in 2013 and on, and it, as you said, is more of a survival game. And while that element is good for this first film that we've seen that has already come out, I don't know that we should see that much survival element in the movie and let's move toward more of the puzzle element for uh, maybe calling it Rise of the Tomb Raider if you're going to follow the game, which I absolutely think they should because you've got an interesting storyline in Trinity. Right. And also more interesting locales, too, because the first movie slash game take place in this jungle environment, which is where a lot of Tomb Raider games and movies have taken place in a jungle environment. Yeah. Rise of the Tomb Raider takes place in the Siberian mountains. Mm. A lot of snow-covered things. And I think that element is something we don't see in a lot of adventure movies, in a lot of artifact-based <laughs> discovery movies. I can't recall seeing that in uh, Indiana Jones, no. No, so I think that locale change already is an interesting and cool idea for a movie because it's not something that we see a lot. And for the game element, it was great because, you know, she's got that pickaxe that she uses to traverse through a lot of the environments and that's going to be exceptionally well diversified for climbing through mountains and the snowy mountainous regions that she's in. I don't know if the locale changes too much in Rise of the Tomb Raider. I just know that there is a lot of snow in a lot of the elements of it. There may be some desert areas as well, but uh, desert and mountainous is different than jungles. Uh, so, and there's definitely been some desert stuff in Indiana Jones, but the snowy mountainous regions, I think, is a good locale change. Basically, I'm just for having the movies follow the at least first two of the three new Tomb Raider games. Right. Because the Trinity element wasn't as pronounced in the first Tomb Raider reboot game as it was in the second, but the movie brought it into the movie. So, because Trinity 
Trinity was introduced in the Alicia Vikander Tomb Raider movie. That's clearly the direction that they were hoping to go if they were to get a sequel. Yeah, that seems like the setup. Yeah. It definitely seems like, oh, this is the broader overarching plot that we're having. So I don't want to seem like I'm talking in circles, but I probably am. I'm trying to remember which of the later of the earlier games also had snowy mountains and stuff. Might have been Legend or Underworld probably Legend. I forgot about Legend. You're right. Legend came before Underworld. It was Legend and then Anniversary and then Underworld. Yeah, I, I may have played all three of those. Legend was really good, too. I liked Legend. I think Legend had some of the snowy levels in it. I think. I may not be completely 100% on this, but I think that's what it was. I remember being on a snowy area. I don't know. I have bad memory. Because there was the first three Tomb Raider games, then there was Tomb Raider Revelations, which was out roughly about the same time as the first movie, And then Revelations was basically like, they threw it out quickly because there was a new Tomb Raider movie, so they're like, we need a game out. Uh, (laughs) So they they pushed Revelations out, which was basically like, here's Laura's greatest hits that you've never heard about, and here's just these, like, disparate levels that have no connecting tissue. And then Last Revelation, which was supposed to be the last Tomb Raider game, which they kind of killed Laura Croft in, but it was a fake out, and then they moved on to the next-gen systems with PS2, with Angel of Darkness, and then because Angel of Darkness tried to introduce so many new gameplay elements, but the game was not finished and it was very broken. They went backwards and did Legend, which had a lot more elements that they had from the previous games, but a little bit more refined. Then they did Anniversary, then they did Underworld. And Underworld, I think, was the last one on the last-gen systems. And then when they came to PS3 and Xbox 360, just as they were heading to next-gen for PS4 and Xbox One, they did the reboot in 2013. So Yeah. There's been some spin-off games too, like Lara Croft and the Guardian of Light and stuff like that, that have different gameplay. And the Temple of Osiris, which are three-quarter top-down, mostly adventure games. There are puzzle elements to it, but they are multiplayer games, where you're playing through with up to four people. In the first game, Guardian of Light, it's only two-player, but Temple of Osiris is four players, I think. And you have to work together to push things to open doors, and that's about as much puzzle as you get. (laughs) It's a twin stick shooter beyond that. You're running around shooting things. Right. And then there's also Laura Croft Go, which was a mobile game mm. that they also did on PS4, which is like it's like a board game. You have a certain set, a number of moves, and you have to move and that's more of a puzzle game rather than a shooting game. Although there is some of that in it as well. So I would have expected it to be an AR game where you go around catching Laura Crofts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's funny is they did Laura Croft Go and Hitman Go. Where you go around catching Hitman? Which would have been great. But I think both of those games came out before Pokemon Go. Mm. So they had those titles before Pokemon Go, so it wasn't really that element to it. But uh, both of those games are available on console and portable systems as well as obviously on mobile devices. But yeah, the Hitman series was owned by Square Enix for a little bit of time, and then IO Interactive removed themselves from Square Enix and became their own company. So they were their own company as the developer, and then they published the most recent game through Warner Brothers. Anyway, that's the last thing we talked about and blah, blah, blah stuff. Things. Right. (laughs) Sorry, tangent. I have them. Yep, that's all good because I have very little to say. Um, <laughs> this is this is becoming very similar to the Hitman episode. Also, finding that the less I say and the more you're talking, the harder it is to keep this accent going. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's definitely slipping. Which, you know, adds to the effect, I suppose. Sure, sure. I did notice in the film that Alicia Vikander, you know, sounds Swedish to me Yeah. in the film. And in the flashbacks, there are, you know, other people playing the same role with no hint of a Swedish accent. So... The younger versions, yes. That sort of stood out to me. Yes. Um, <laughs> which is fine. Uh, it happens. Sometimes people pick up accents over time. Maybe she was on vacation for a number of years. <laughs> Maybe she studied at Göteborg's University. It's entirely possible. I've noticed that about her in many other roles, too. In Ex Machina, I noticed her accent slipping through a bit, but uh, that's neither here nor there. I think, as far as casting for young Laura, I think she was actually really well cast for the role. Oh, yeah, she did great. I'm not disparaging in any way by saying that I noticed her accent. No, no, of course not. No, I actually think she's quite an exceptional actress, especially if you've seen Ex Machina. That's a phenomenal film in any regard. I have not seen that film, but I've been meaning to. It's on my list. It's really good, and man, is it a mindfuck. But it's quite good. She's very good in it. And because she got cast, I became very excited about this Tomb Raider movie because I knew what a good actress she is. So I think her casting in this role is very good casting for this particular role and for this version of Laura. Right. This one who is kind of growing into what she will become as the Tomb Raider that we know. And, you know, especially with the almost (laughs) torture porn version of all the terrible shit that they put Laura through in that first game. If you screw up, there's some pretty brutal yeah. scenes of her getting offed. Man, it's terrible. It's definitely a few steps beyond Harrison Ford level getting your ass kicked. Yes, it most definitely is. Which is a certain level. Harrison Ford, of course, is very good at getting his ass kicked. Harrison Ford, but that's the difference between the original Tomb Raider movies and the Indiana Jones movies. Indiana Jones made fighting look realistic. He gets his ass kicked. He wins by sheer luck right. and determination. Lara Croft, the Angelina Jolie version is slick and stylized and doesn't ever lose. Always kicks ass. Right. More of an 80s action hero than uh, the 80s action hero that is Indiana Jones. Well, yeah, but Indiana Jones was an 80s action hero that was stylized to be like a 1940s serial. Yes, absolutely. He's sort of modeled after Alan Quatermain and other characters like that. Exactly. Things like that. And having this new, younger Laura Croft kind of be getting into that element of learning how to fight and learning how to survive makes it more realistic right. and more approachable on that end. That end, you can keep on the realistic. Keep the mysticism with the artifacts. <laughs> yes, uh, I agree. That's a good balance to have. But in the games, they kind of push it a little to an extreme. Like, you know, if yes. you don't swim out of the way of falling down this waterfall, your face is going to get impaled on these broken tree spikes. Right. And seeing that over and over again and watching her twitch on that stuff, that was a little unnecessary. It was a bit gratuitous, yes. <laughs> yes, but it Admittedly, that's going back to a lot of the deaths that she had in the original games. You get into the water and get completely mauled by Piranha and you watch her body twitch there in the water before it fades out and you start over again. They just happen to have better graphics for it now. (laughs) Right. Which makes it more visceral. Yeah, more visceral, more disturbing. Thankfully, you don't get to see something like that in the movie because you're not playing it. Right. You don't see all the screw-ups, and anything that is a screw-up is scripted, and she can get up and move on from that. Like in the game, her getting impaled on a stalactite or falling on a rebar or whatever, hurting her arm, what have you, is all scripted elements that's there supposed to be, and that's her pushing through the pain and realizing that she needs to survive because she doesn't have anybody who's there to help her. Right. And, you know, elements like that 
sure, they do suck, and it's kind of like beating her up, which is not great. But also the fact that she is overcoming this, she is persevering these harsh elements, and she is surviving. She is a survivor and is someone who has the smarts and the tenacity to make her way through and figure these puzzles out where her father couldn't, where this company couldn't. She is the one who has the knowledge to work her way through it. And that coupled with these brand new survival skills that she's been thrown in the middle of to suddenly discover she has is what makes the character compelling and what makes these movies interesting. Yes, she's the survivor. She's not going to give up. Exactly. The never give up, never surrender kind of mentality. Yeah. Well, I I was trying to quote that song that was used in the trailer. (laughs) For the film. They did use Destiny's Child Survivor. I completely forgot about that. Yes, but I couldn't remember the lyrics. <laughs> She's not going to stop. I'm a survivor. I'm not going to give up. Uh, I'm going to work harder. Before that, there's not going to stop. But yes. Something like that. Whatever. We're not Destiny's Child. True. Uh, <laughs> but we can we can work harder. <laughs> But yes, that's the thing, though. The movie is good. It's not fantastic, but it is a good start for the franchise. I think it's not broken, not broken. Yes. And it's definitely a good start. So I think pushing it more toward, yes, let's embrace the mysticality of the artifacts and the mysticism involved in the mythology behind them and making Laura a badass but still human and a badass who still can make mistakes and isn't just a paint-by-numbers action star and you'll have a good balance for a better movie. Yes. And following the through line established in this first movie, of Trinity and focusing mostly on how Trinity plays out in her family in the next game in Rise of the Tomb Raider is probably the approach that would work best for this. I don't want to keep talking in circles about that, but that's really all that needs to be said about it, at least in my estimation. We can explore it a little closer, I think, because this thing with introducing the supernatural element, now that we've had a film where there weren't any overt supernatural element, there was the curse slash disease that was sort of brushed off a little bit. Explained away. I think because of that, that leaves Lara in a place where she probably faced with something supernatural would question it. Oh, yeah. She would go, well, you know, last time it turned out to be a disease, so it's probably something else this time as well. She would have that sort of, well, Velma mentality as opposed to the Daphne Blake mentality that she is so known for. Which is great because in the end of the 2013 Tomb Raider reboot game, where she's coming up against the Death Queen in her supernatural moment, most of the time she's thinking this is just the pieces of paper and the thoughts of remembrances that were left behind about what was happening on that island, she was like, no, this can be chalked up to something in reality. And then when the supernatural happens, she's like holy shit, it actually is supernatural. It was actually like this. Right. So this is actually playing that in reverse. (laughs) You know, she in the movie was like, you know, everyone was convinced it was supernatural and it turned out to be something easily explainable. And having that flipped for the next movie kind of goes back to what was established in the game to begin with. And that addresses something that I thought was a vague yet specific lack that I felt during the film. The whole time I was waiting for a holy shit moment. Any kind of holy shit moment would have been good. Yeah. And the entire time I was like, I was waiting for it and it never came. There was no moment of, oh shit, that's what's going on. It was all like, okay, 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 the dad's alive. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, yeah. And now, oh, it's a disease. All right. So it's, it's no big deal. Um, I, I would like to have a moment in the next film where I go, oh 
shit. This is what's going on. <laughs> and that's part of that thing of addressing the puzzle box of it. And I think that needs to be felt very much through the character of Lara. I think she should be going into it skeptical and have that challenged and sort of come to terms with the realities that she's facing, that she is in a world where there are these things that don't exist in the real world. Yeah, and I 100% agree with that. And I think a good majority of what took away the holy shit moments were the neutering of how exactly twisted and psychotic Walton Goggins' character was. I cannot remember his character name, and he was the main antagonist of the whole thing and the game. I've already forgotten and I just watched it. But anyway, regardless, his character... Matthias. Matthias. Because it was so neutered for the movie version and also because they nerfed the plot point that pulled the supernatural element away from it and pulled out your holy shit moments. The only holy shit moment that I had watching that movie was the fact that Laura's father was still alive because he sure as shit isn't. Well, no, I take that back. He's possibly thought to be alive. They don't actually ever think he's dead. But you don't see him. He's not in that first game at all. Right. And again, I haven't finished playing through Rise, and I haven't played Shadow at all, so I don't know if he shows up later, but she is searching for him because he's connected to these elements, is missing because of this whole thing involving Trinity. So, having him be in the first movie was very much a jump-the-gun, holy shit, they actually kept him alive moment for me. Mm. But that was the only a holy shit moment, knowing the game. Yeah, and for me, it wasn't a holy shit moment because it's a bit of a cliche at this point. Exactly. I just saw it in Aquaman. I saw it in uh, How to Train Your Dragon 2. I've seen it in lots of things where like, oh, the, the dead parent <laughs> is alive. Yes, yes. I've seen it. <laughs> I guess because the familiarity I had with the game gave me the holy shit moments, but not in the way that a filmmaker should give me the holy shit moments. It's the holy shit, oh, he's actually alive? That's weird. And oh, they made it medical and not mystical? Holy shit, why did they do that? Right. The opposite of a holy shit moment that you want. It's more disappointment than pleasant surprise. Exactly. And we definitely should uh, shy away from that for any sequel. <laughs> Go for the good holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Work harder. <laughs> yes, work harder at being better. <laughs> I think that's kind of like the subtitle for this show. For all of these IPs, work harder at being better. Well, I was again quoting Destiny's Child. <laughs> <laughs> that That's going to end up in the subtitle for this episode somewhere as some sort of Destiny's Child quote. But yeah, I don't know if there's anything more that we can say about this because it's a really easy property to do right. Well... It's conceptually easy, but there is a challenge in writing it because actually writing those holy shit moments can be a challenge. So it's definitely not easy in that sense, but it is easy conceptually. Yeah, that's what I meant. The checklist is short. Yeah, the checklist is short is more my point. It's also very easy to screw it up. Right. As we have seen. But the way to fix those elements, I think we've kind of given a good baseline direction to go with all of that. Right. But beyond that, I think, yes, Laura is the main character, but she is not without her support system. So bringing in some of the characters from the games that she has currently. And from the older games. She's had supporting characters in older games as well that you could bring in. Yeah, absolutely. You don't have to stick necessarily to the current version of the games. You can use elements of the older games to sort of have some fun with the canon and build a new 
movie canon based on sort of both. Yeah. Well, she has this one guy with her, Jonah, who's throughout the three most recent games. Jonah was on the boat and then Jonah helps her fly into the mountains and discover these other elements and stuff. And she's kind of like constantly talking with Jonah or having Jonah help her through situations and having the support character, at least somebody like Jonah in the movies, because she is still learning along these lines. She is still learning. I sort of got the sense that Daniel Wu's character, Lou Ren, was the sort of... He was kind of an amalgamation right. of a bunch of people. Yeah. He was Jonah crossed with a couple other people from the boat. That's the thing. Everybody who's on the boat with her, you never see again other than him. And he kind of became an amalgamation of all those characters from the game. Right. Because they wanted to focus it in. Yeah. And Jonah is kind of like the through line through the games right now and is always questioning, Laura, how the hell do you keep getting yourself into these situations? He's also kind of the voice of the audience. <laughs> so having... His his element be in the movies, I think probably would be a welcome addition, especially since she's kind of learning and growing on how to be exactly what we expect Tomb Raider to be. Right. This might be a spoiler for the older games, but I have a vague recollection of there having been a friend of Lara's who turned evil or something, got possessed or... Yeah, I have a vague recollection of that too, and I feel like that character was in the Angelina Jolie movies as her little tech dude, although I could be wrong in that estimation. Okay, because that's a supporting, because I was thinking about supporting characters and, the, and that was like the one supporting character I have any memory of at all was looking for that character and then finding out that they were the villain of the game I was playing. I think that was one of the, might have been Legends or Underworld or something. Yeah, I actually had them backwards too. Daniel Craig is in the first Lara Croft movie and Gerard Butler is in the second. But Bryce was a character that was like the little tech guru for Laura's team because because Laura's team was basically Chris Berry as uh, the butler Hillary, Bryce who did all the tech, and Daniel Craig's character Alex West who was kind of a also Tomb Raider type person. So that's how they did it in the first movie. In Cradle of Life, Bryce and Hillary are still around as her crew to help her through things. And then there's other people going through. But I feel like Bryce was actually in the games. Maybe not nearly in as large an element as they had him in those movies, but giving some sort of support system beyond 100% just survival of herself is definitely a welcome element in my opinion anyway. I keep feeling like I'm talking in circles. Yeah, uh, um, I'm trying to find who this friend was who was Amanda Evert was the friend who became the antagonist in Legend and Underworld. Never mind. <laughs> then, of course, there's a question of like, oh, the animated series could be a thing to do with this IP. Well, that's the thing. Beyond the games... And beyond the movies that we've had, there have been, again, like with many of the other things we've talked about, there have been ongoing comic book series. Right. Multiple. Multiple ongoing comic series through Top Cow and then Image, and I think with Dynamite now. No, it's Dark Horse now. It may have been Dark Horse. But it's been with multiple studios, is my point. Right. But yeah, there have been many ongoing Laura Croft series. She was in comics for a very long time, even when they weren't making games. The comic series was still going on, and now that they've rebooted the game, Games, that rebooted version is in the comics now. Right. It's definitely been something that they've continued her adventures with. And if you're looking for a Tomb Raider story that's more 
further along in Laura's life in the tradition of the Tomb Raider that you're more familiar with, those comic stories could be an element that they could pull from for film or an animated series or what have you. There may actually have even been an animated series for Tomb Raider. They did one or two CG promotional videos Mm. for Laura Croft that were kind of in the style of the graphics of the original games, but I don't think they were like stories beyond the game or anything like that. But I do remember recalling at least one. Right. But I think there was also just a promotional tie-in. Because I think this is an IP that would lend itself well to a cartoon. Oh, absolutely. And it's an adventure show. It would be... We are talking about this the day after they released the trailer for the live-action Dora the Explorer movie, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, I did see that trailer. Which is very much a... She's not as young as she is in the cartoon. She's aged up a little bit. The characters that people know from the cartoon are voiced by Danny Trejo and Benicio Del Toro. Benicio Del Toro is playing Swiper. Mm. (laughs) And Michael Pena. Yeah, he's her father. And uh, Eva Longoria. Eva Longoria is her mother. And Danny Trejo is Boots the Monkey. And Benicio Del Toro is Swiper No Swiping. I don't know who's playing the map. But she's aged up a little bit and, you know, they've kind of given it this Legends of the Hidden Temple crossed with Tomb Raider kind of look when she's like traversing through all these temples and areas and stuff because it's the City of Lost Gold or whatever it's called. The Lost City of Gold. The Lost City of Gold. There you go. It's not even Dora the Explorer. It's just Dora and the City of Lost Gold. The Lost City of Gold. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yes. I just keep thinking of the Mysterious Cities of Gold. You remember that show? No, I don't know that one at all. I think it was like a French-Japanese animated series, Mysterious Cities of Gold. Not familiar. came out in 1983, but it aired in Sweden in the 90s. I can't say that I'm familiar with it. In 1983, I was four years old, so... No, I didn't exist. I don't know if it made it over here. I wasn't even really introduced to much anime until I was in high school, so... The theme song is very memorable. <laughs> but yeah, no, so I think it's interesting that we're talking about Tomb Raider right after Dora the Explorer is getting a Tomb Raider-esque movie and they just put her trailer out. Right, it's like Tomb Raider for kids. It's Tomb Raider for kids. Which is is not what the TV show was, but... (laughs) No, not that I know of. But then again, I didn't watch the TV show, so... I actually didn't either, so what the hell do I know? I could be completely wrong and she's uncovering crypts and unwrapping mummies all in a quest to have kids learn about... About object permanence. About object permanence. And the fourth wall. (laughs) There's a lot of fourth wall breaking. Yeah, I was wondering if that's going to be in the movie. Yeah, okay. That's a thing. Uh, (laughs) I have nowhere else to go with that. (laughs) Yeah, um, to summarize, I suppose the next Tomb Raider movie should be a de scooby of the film franchise, getting back to the magical... Of what was already established in the first one, yeah. Right, and let that really resonate with the character so that there's a deep connection between the character and the audience because they're experiencing the same thing, at least the part of the audience that is not expecting the supernatural based on having seen the previous one. Exactly. So you need to have that impact of that and the emotional journey of the character through that discovery. And also, obviously, there's gonna be action. Yeah, but having a good balance for that. And there should be... More of a mystery plot would be nice. Yeah, definitely. Sort of complicated and puzzle boxy. And also, somebody could try to do an animated series. <laughs> Worth looking into. Uh, 
Yeah. I think it would lend itself to that. The later adventures of Laura Croft done in an animated style more akin to the comics and the films following the game's most recent adventures. That would be great. So yeah, that's a decent summary. I agree with that. Yeah, having Laura realize that there are both explainable and unexplainable and suddenly supernatural and mystical elements along with the audience would be more humanizing to the character. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I think we've exhausted that topic. (laughs) Yeah. So, if you have a topic that you think we should painfully and excruciatingly exhaust in an episode, or even have a comment about an episode that you've heard, this episode, a previous episode, what have you, you can send us a message to ipconsultantspodcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet to us at ipconsultpod, or send us a message on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash IP Consult Pod. You can also listen to the show anytime on iTunes or right on our website, ipconsultants.podbean.com. Episodes are also available on YouTube. On YouTube and iTunes, just search for IP Consultants. Once again, we have been your IP Consultants. My name is Ian. My name is Vincent. And we shall speak to you next time. Have a tasteful tuna. <laughs>